And here comes Milwaukee. Forbes another three. Oh no! <laughs> this is the Random Scrub Heat Podcast. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Caleb Martin podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Martin, and I'm joined with Caleb Martin and Caleb Martin. Caleb, how are you guys doing today, Caleb? Caleb, Caleb doesn't want to talk. We're good. <laughs> I know. I'm here with Harry and I'm here with Alex. We are not Bubba. We're here with Alexander the Great, Alex Sheltman. That's the Alex we have on today. Um, we are talking about, obviously, Caleb Martin. And I guess we'll just start there, honestly, because we won't, we wouldn't be coming at you with this much enthusiasm in our voices if not for Caleb Martin who kind of was the most consistent player for the Heat against the Celtics. I know we haven't potted since we had one with Izzy about a week ago when the Heat were up one nothing before they took the second game in Boston. So yeah, guys, uh, a lot's changed. The Heat are Eastern Conference champions because of um the best twin, Caleb Martin. How do you guys feel about Caleb Martin and that deal that he's on? Because you talk about the Heat and their undrafted guys and, you know, finding diamonds in the rough. I, I think Caleb might be the diamond of the rough. Um, listen, man, like when they signed Caleb Martin to the two-way last year, I was like, cool. That's not, like, let's take a chance on a young guy, right? That's kind of what these contracts are there for. Um, you know, they're not a lot of roster spots in the NBA. And so this is kind of giving teams a chance to look at guys for – what is it, 50 games during the regular season that they can play? So, you know, we were like, great. And then he started playing last year, and we're like, yo, this guy's pretty good, pretty good. Um, and obviously they signed him, uh, you know, to a deal at the end of last year so that he was playoff eligible. And he was decent in the playoffs, but I think he just, like, was so athletic last season that he actually, you know, he had that Achilles injury. I think that slowed him down in the postseason last year. And he basically took this whole season. No one liked him starting at the four. Um, it wasn't his best position. And then they brought in Kevin Love. They put Caleb Martin on the bench. He's had a really good second half of the year. And then this postseason is just, it's hard to describe how good he's been. Um, he was the second, he was the first or second best player on the court in a game seven in Boston. Um, there's the argument to be made, and I think most people agreed that he was the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals. If not for a if not for a vote for Jimmy Butler from Ira Winderman, Caleb Martin is the MVP of the Eastern Conference Finals. He would have he would have accepted the Larry Bird trophy in Boston. Um, it's not just, he's become our best guy around the basket. He's, his layup package is very advanced. Uh, the three, he didn't seem to have a hitch in game seven and the confidence is insane. Uh, people are essentially tracking it back to the play in Bucks in the Buck series game four, where he tracked down that rebound and then called for the three in the corner against Giannis drained it in his face. I think it was a two because we know Caleb Caleb on the line is actually the, the more efficient shot. And, um, and then put, you know, put his hand over his face and he's just kind of been like incredible. Um, it, it's the coldest role player moment in the history of the NBA. Like the fact that he, demanded it from Jimmy after tracking down that rebound, like you said, Harry, 
and then just pulling it out of nowhere because no one's seen that. So that was a that was a new celebration, and it was just the coldest thing I think we've ever seen from someone who wasn't like a top five star in the NBA. It's also that so I've now seen Game Seven twice. I had to you know I had to watch it the first time because I didn't was too afraid to watch it uh, live, and then I watched it again, and it's insane the shots he's taking. The fadeaways, he's he knows they're going in. Every three-pointer he took, you can hear audible groans from the crowd, <laughs> knowing that, that he's about to like just put it in their face. Uh, especially like it just seemed anytime they got on a run, you know, I think they'd cut it to seven or eight. He'd hit a shot. He hit the shot at the end of the third quarter in game seven. Then at the start of the fourth, I think they were up 10, and he just pulled up from the very you know top of the arc and hits it to go up 13. Um, and you're like, we're not losing with this guy out here. You know, him and Jimmy were just like, we're the best two forwards on the court. I don't care what's going on on the other side. Um, you know, Jalen Brown threw up all over himself, and you know, Tatum got hurt, which is unfortunate for him. But you know, my feeling with injuries is too bad, so sad. I'm, I'm glad he's okay, like physically, but I don't give a crap. Like, man. You, uh, you've been flopping around all series, throwing your elbows. You know, I don't know. I watched him play a bunch. He just, I feel like he could have easily avoided Gabe's foot. I know that's stupid, and these th- these things are random, but you know, he's just kind of, I don't know. And the, the, the team is such front runners, man. Like that was a weird series. I felt like the team that the team that won was the one that was uh, not facing pressure in the games. Like any team that had pressure lost. Um, and yeah, so I just like, I mean, you hope Caleb Martin keeps this up. Last time I checked, I just looked. He has the fifth best odds to win the MVP of the NBA Finals, um, which is probably a decent bet if you wanted to throw 10 bucks or 20 bucks. This is not betting advice, but if you just had some shekels laying around, I, I don't think it would be the worst uh, bet. And. I don't know, Alex. What do you, I mean, it's just, it's just like hard to describe watching a guy who got cut by the by the Hornets has basically admitted, he admitted earlier on Levitard that he probably would not have an NBA job without Jay Cole calling up Karan Butler and telling them like, hey, this guy's pretty good if you want to bring him in for a tryout. Um, these are cool stories. This is kind of what sports are all about. And I just like, what have you been thinking watching him playing like this? Yeah. I mean, you, you said it first things first, uh, rest in peace, uncle Phil. No, first things first, shout out to Jay Cole. Uh, I, I don't know how we took the advice of, uh, Jay Cole of all people to, to go out and snag Caleb Martin. Um, but this is like, this is the side of heat culture that we can all sort of get behind a little bit. I think the heat culture stuff is a little, you know, sometimes exhausting, sometimes nauseating. Um, but it it does like work to an extent. Like we like there is no there is no franchise, maybe across all of sports, not just the NBA, but across all of sports, that is continually able to find these complete diamonds in the rough, um, dudes that are cut, dudes that are undrafted, and and rehab them into actual talented NBA players. Um, you know. Even the guys that aren't necessarily great on both ends, still they can find like a skill set where these guys are, you know, 
contributing to any NBA win. Um, I, I wanted to focus mostly on the main thing with Caleb um, was the three-point shooting to me. So his first season in Charlotte where he played like the full season, you know, he, his rookie year, he only played 18 games. But the next year, he played 53 games. Uh, he took about two and a half threes a game, and he shot the ball at 25% from three, which is, which is absurd to me because he gets to Miami takes the same two and a half threes a game and he's shooting at 41 percent um maybe that's a you know mixture of a little bit of coaching the dudes he's playing with in miami are better than the guys he's playing with in charlotte so he has more free reign but then this year you see an uptick in his three point uh three point shots taken to three and a half but he drops back down to 36 so maybe a little come back down to earth in the nba playoffs he is taking five threes a game and shooting 44% from three. That is like elite. That is almost nearly Duncan Robinson at his peak level of elite. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's completely flabbergasting to me to see, um, you know, him go from an up and down year where we said all year he's too small, he can't play the four, and then finally Kevin Love gets here, he gets benched, he looks much more comfortable in this bench role, and then when it's time to, you know, break out the last few stops, Spo puts in Caleb Martin as the starter in, re in replacing Caleb, and he's pretty much the guy, like, that was completely reliable the whole series. There was some defensive lapses there, but, you know, he was probably the most consistent player, and if I had an MVP vote, it probably would not have gone to Jimmy. It probably would have been Caleb's. Um, and that's not a knock on Jimmy. It's just for impact within the series, Caleb was probably the guy that completely flipped the series on its head. Because if you don't get those 20 points a game and the three-point shooting, they probably end the season in a historic failure, which is a reverse sweep 4-3. No, I I think both everything both of you guys are saying is completely spot on. And also, Alex, I I think I saw the stats somewhere that Caleb in the Eastern Conference Finals it was like forty eight or forty nine percent from three in that series alone. That's insane for a seven. It's not like it was a four game series where you made quick work. You were sitting in the fourth quarter of every game. That was a seven game series where he averaged nineteen a game, shooting forty nine percent from three. That I. When you're Caleb on, had you're more threes made in the Celtics series than Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum combined, just it's by himself. Insane. It's it's Crazy. absolutely insane. And so that's why I actually want to bring up a follow-up question to both of you guys. Um, now that I know Denver poses very, very different schematics than, than what you were looking at against Boston, do you think maybe whether it be just because of not having enough time on Spo's end to kind of tweak a lineup or whether he actually likes Caleb in this role because Tyler might be coming back later on in this series, having Tyler kind of run that unit off the bench, do you guys like Caleb starting at the four? Because Denver's not exactly as dominant on the glass as Boston was. So it's not as much as a knock on Miami's size. Would you like to see Caleb start, continue to start at the four? Um, if you're asking me if I want it, I, I'm not – hundred percent positive where, where I lie on that. Cause I, I did like the lineup with love. I just think it was such a bad matchup against the Celtics. Like, you know, Horford and Rob will are big guys, but they're not like, they're, they're, they're just, they're quicker guys. Like what's going to happen tomorrow is Caleb starting. Spo is a guy who likes things at work. It's hard to argue that Caleb wasn't really good 
uh, in the starting lineup. And even in game six where, you know, you had Bam and Jimmy struggle, he kept you in the game in that first half. I mean, he was really good out of the gate in game six at home. So Spoh's not going to adjust anything there. And then it's kind of like you're going to figure out who makes sense coming off the bench. Um, so Caleb will be starting. You make a good point, right? Like Jokic is huge. He's a monster of a guy. He's seven foot two. He's going to be the biggest guy that he'd have faced so far in terms of height and weight. Um, Aaron Gordon's a tall, athletic, long guy, but again, you're not you're not too worried about his rebounding being a huge problem that you can't box out and keep him out of the paint and make sure they don't get second chances. So I do think Caleb's starting, and then you have more interesting questions down the lineup, essentially. Uh, is this another Haywood-Heisman series? Because he had good minutes in two road games in Boston, right? You kind of think, like, these role players are probably going to be better at home. He was good, man. He was good. He was really good. Watch what you're saying because Royal's going to come for us because I I agree with what you're saying. Haywood had a good series. He was really good in game five in which it was basically over after the first quarter and the Heat could never make up that 15-point deficit. And he gave you like nine super impactful minutes in in game seven. Um, He's just the kind of guy who like you trust him to shoot the corner three. It doesn't really matter if it goes in or not. He, He can hit him. Um, he can guard anybody. He gave, he gave Jason Tatum fits in the regular season. Those sets are very good against Tatum. And so if you need him for a few minutes to like guard a Jamal Murray guard and Aaron Gordon, um, I think you let him give it a shot. I, I know Spo said that there's probably a place for Cody Zeller in the series. I think it's the bench. So I hope that's what he meant. I I hope that's what he was. I think he, I hope because um, I understand they're probably, I think their thoughts are probably, you're going to need to use some fouls against Jokic simply to annoy him, simply to bother him. And not, he's an amazing free throw shooter, but I'm simply like to just get in his space, get in his face a little bit. So you probably need a couple extra bodies, uh, Kevin Love, a Zeller to just to be down there and to get some rebounds. Um, but I'm interested to see what Spo does. I'm interested in game one, like you said, on very short rest. I mean, if they could have, even if they could have finished this Saturday, we would have been, uh, I think, a little bit better. And, you know, tomorrow's going to be an interesting matchup of the Nuggets have been off for nine days. You know, I think that's the third longest break in NBA history between the conference finals and the finals for a team. And the Heat really don't have as much time playing in a place where they absolutely stink. They have not won in Denver since 2016. Um, and it's going to be it's going to be an interesting match to see how they come out tomorrow and how they play. But to answer your question, I know I went on a bit of a tangent. Uh, I would be shocked if Caleb was not starting the game tomorrow night. No, I agree 100% too. Is I, I would prefer him to start. And right before I toss it to you, Alex, get your, your take on whether or not Caleb should be starting. Harry, to your point about the, the nine days rest, that is an eternity in the basketball world. In the football world, hey, that's a cool bye week. This ain't football. You need to have that kind of momentum going your way because you are shooting so many shots. It's all about rhythm. It's 100% about rhythm. You're not running routes. You are literally trying to push a ball with your hand into a very tiny bucket. So I think of all the games Miami needs to take, they've done it every single series so far in the postseason. They take game one. It sets the tone for the series. The Heat have not trailed in a postseason series this year. Insanity. That's how they've been able to be successful. They jump out in their opponents. 
I think game one needs to be just that because you're going to at least get the first half of the first quarter. Denver might be just chucking their shots because they're just going to be out of rhythm a little bit. The Heat are still going to be in that rhythm, being able to get an extra day is going to do a lot for their legs. And that's why I'm a little more worried about game two than game one. I feel like if they can come out and steal game one and put pressure on Denver, who has not been punched in the mouth yet in the postseason, they have not. I don't care what anybody says. Devin Booker shooting 73%. That's not getting punched in the mouth. That's you throwing up your arms going, shit, this dude's just cooking and you got to let him go. Denver has not had that yet. Miami's had that. They had that when Jimmy got injured and then Kyle stepped up in game one in New York and then was able to close that out. They've had role players step up consistently, not in the Milwaukee series. That was just straight Jimmy, but the Boston series, there's not much more adversity. There's not much more getting punched in the mouth than going up 3 nothing, blowing three straight, and being on the wrong end of the most embarrassing collapse in the history of the sport. So Miami's had their moment. I want to see Denver get punched in the mouth and see how they respond. Winning game one is a good start to that. So Alex, back to you. Do you expect Caleb to continue to start? And how do you feel particularly about game one? Um... Yeah, Spo seems to be a creature of habit, and he doesn't usually readjust after he makes that initial adjustment. Um, you know, one thing I was clamoring for in the Celtics series was uh, a swap of Struess and Duncan, uh, just because for whatever reason, Struess was not working and Duncan was. And so I was just sort of like, you know, go with what's working. Spo's mentality has always been don't mess up the rotations, you know, sort of keep things the same. Um, he did obviously tweak and, and sub out Kevin Love for for Caleb there. So I, I would expect that Caleb also um, plays. The problem is Denver is probably a little bit bigger than the Celtics in terms of, you know, even their smaller lineup, just because, as you mentioned, Aaron Gordon. Um, I do think there is an, a, a place for Kevin Love in this series, whether it's starting or off the bench. Um, mostly because I think the the best route to go is to sort of hide Kevin Love on Jokic, funny as that sounds, and then let Bam do a lot of roaming and switching onto, you know, a lot more of the perimeter players. Um, one thing I, that I did, you know, look up here, I wanted to just throw a point to your haven't been tested, um, you know, thing. The Nuggets this season on three days or more of rest um, are six and four. Now, you don't really usually get more than three days of rest uh, in an NBA season because you're just constantly playing. Um, but six and four on more than three days of rest, you would think that when you're getting rest throughout an NBA season, you're probably going to hopefully be able to get some wins after that. And it doesn't seem like it was necessarily a pattern for the Nuggets. So I don't know how this nine-day layoff is going to run for them. It could do them wonders, and they could absolutely come out game one, run circles around us who, you know, we obviously have tired legs after a seven-game series. You know, guys are banged up. Bam has a, a little bit of a hurt shoulder. Jimmy has a hurt foot. Um, and, you know, they could run circles around us, or, you know, they could they could have some gelatinous legs. Uh, maybe they got too comfortable sitting on the couch. Maybe they, uh, you know... Had a little bit too much fast food on their on their off days. Um, I'm hoping for that, but but to your point, mostly I don't think they've been tested yet either. The the Timberwolves, uh, a joke of a franchise. Uh, the fact that the Timberwolves even won a game versus them is kind of embarrassing on the Nuggets end. Um, the closeout like game the, was close too. Yeah, yeah, they only won by three in the closeout game. They lost, uh, you know, in overtime in the other one, but. Um, the Suns, same thing. Like you said, Devin Booker doesn't shoot uh, 32 for 36 uh, in two straight games. I don't know if they don't sweep them at that point. 
Um, and then the Lakers series, you know, I, I haven't thought highly of the Lakers even after the trades. I was shocked that the Lakers even made the, the Western Conference Finals. Um, and it's not like they completely blew them out of the water either. You know, all of the games were relatively close at one point in the fourth quarter. Um, whether the scales tipped in the direction of the Nuggets is obviously why, um, you know, that was a sweep. But I think first game here, I do think I want to go with the prediction of the Nuggets just because it, it's it's tough to pick against a nine-day layoff. I, I know, you know, I've, I've never played sports at an NBA level, but I've played sports where, you know, you do, you know, three games in two days or four games in three days. And that next game after you get some time off, you always have much, much fresher legs. So um, I would love to pick the Heat, uh, but it, it's tough. It's tough. Well, okay, here we go now. We, we've talked about the Heat for about coming up on 21 minutes now. That's incredible for any sports network these days. So I want to play a new game called Fitting In. What we're going to do with Fitting In here is we're going to talk about um, everything other than the Miami Heat, the same way that everyone else seems to do in the major sports networking world. So let's talk about the injury complaints, right, especially from the Boston side. You had Jason Tatum spraying his bum ankle, boo-hoo. You had Jalen Brown cut his hand and then, you know, just fall to the ground and get his arm caught up in Bam's legs in one of his games in Boston. Boo-hoo. You had Malcolm Brogdon with a with a strained ligament in his arm. Boo-hoo. Then you had Rob Williams, you know, eating the, the, the fucking chopped cheese from AutoZone. Boo-hoo, man. Like, no one cares. Every single excuse is coming out of the books for the Celtics, and it's it's insane. I saw the screenshot on Twitter where it was like after the Heat won the game seven from ESPN, it was just like 10 straight videos, one talking about the Heat and then nine more talking about how Boston lost or just other stuff in the NBA that's that's not showcasing the team that's playing for the championship. So just are, are you guys fed up with it too or just like all the excuses coming from Boston's end? Because I, for me personally, I don't think I've ever recalled a series where it was just like every single player on the opposing team was just whining the entire time. And I went back and watched some, some film from it too. And the announcers as well are, are continually, Sam Van Gundy specifically is talking about how they're, they're, the players are just complaining nonstop. I mean, Jason Tatum got into Tony brother's face in game seven. And it was like, why are you doing that? You know who Tony brothers is. You're a professional athlete. Tony brothers, the, him and the, that big ass eyebrow doesn't take, don't take shit. They don't. So you can't go in there and continue to talk your crap. And, and complain to the officials and expect them to, to like retroactively give you back calls because that's not the way that Scott Foster or Tony Brothers works. But I just want to throw it to you guys just on on the massive complaint front because it, it's getting a little tiresome. Um, there's a very there's a picture going around now where Caleb Martin shooting a shot and Marcus Smart instead of guarding Caleb Martin is arguing with the referee. Not only that, but if you look into the back of that photo, like Blake Griffin and other guys on the Celtics bench are arguing over something. Listen, there's there's an art to argue a call. There's an art to trying to get the referee to see what you've been seeing. Or, for example, I think I think Spo called out. Um, I want to say it was Tatum for he was they, they he kept saying telling the rest that he was carrying the ball, and then at some point in the game they called that violation. There's an art to getting the ref to do what you want, um, and it takes some skill. It takes a little bit of nuance, but. To argue every call, it's frustrating. It's not going to help you. And mostly these refs are incredibly uh, egotistical. They're just going to end up taking it out on you. I don't know if you remember earlier in the season when uh, Fred Van Vliet of the Raptors called out Ben Taylor for just like basically he didn't think that he was 
calling things fair for him. And he took that fine simply to just either get him off refereeing his games or, yeah, pause there. But, uh, you know. He was right in that sense too, Ben Taylor. Yeah, he was right. He was right. And so it's just interesting that we're at this point, right? Like the refs aren't going to – they can't change their call, assuming you don't challenge it. It it is what it is. It's it's based on what they see, even though they can't see and we need robot refs. Um, But anyway, it's a problem. And I think it reverts back to coaching. Um, Joe Mazzola is 34 years old, right? He's a very, very young coach. It's his first year. Um, he, you know, he found his favorite movie, The Town, and he watched that a lot. And he thought that would help um, his team, him and his team, prepare. And it wasn't. And you know, at some point, you have to take the team aside and say, you know, I'm glad Top Golf helped them because I, I didn't want to have to burn down the Top Golf here. But um, you know, I think simply you have to take the team aside and say, guys, listen, I understand these refs aren't very good. They're going to make mistakes. We need to get back from defense. We need to contest shots. We need to box out. We cannot be arguing because the Heat don't really argue that much. Jimmy Butler like almost never argues a call. It doesn't matter if he gets knocked down uh, to the ground. He basically gets up. He'll like, maybe he'll make a face, but he heads back on defense. Um, I think that's such a good attitude for like a team, an underdog team, a team that really has fought for everything to be here. And – that's probably why they beat the Celtics. Um, you know, there's other factors at play. Obviously, they shot the hell out of the ball, and um, you know, they were able to win three games in Boston. So that's more of like why they won. But I just think that type of attitude is going to help you uh, in a, in these types of series. I think the I think the more mentally tough team usually wins. Um, you know, seven games is a long is a long series. We usually say that the better team wins, even if you know, even if we're surprised by the outcome. And so I'm not worried about the Heat doing that. And I just think – I think this Boston team is, is very weak. Um, and they gave us a good series. They're very talented. I would not take anything away from them as talented players. Um, you know, a lot of them are highly – are high draft picks, very very good basketball players. Um, you know, Tatum's great. Uh, Brown's a very good player. Marcus Smart is, is good when he's not flopping. Um, Derek White is excellent. He's really killed us for two series, uh, two seasons in a row in two different series. But I think the complaining is obnoxious, and I think, um, and I think all these excuses when the game's over are, are is not fair to the team that won. I don't know why we automatically go to a series and say, "Oh, that's why." Uh, you know, oh, the, like ESPN came out and said, "Oh, the Celtics almost did it." Oh, almost did it what are you celebrating they didn't do anything they're the they're the 151st team to go down 3-0 and eventually lose first one to lose game seven on their home court too that's true they did make a little bit of history that's pretty cool for them yeah yeah good for them you know Derek white has a shot he can tell his kids about because um you know when they're staring at his giant five head, he can talk to them about. <laughs> no, he'll let it go by then. He can talk to them about, you know, his, his uh, point one, and they could say, all right, all right, grandpa, time to take you back to the home. But, um, you know, it's, I, it's just, I think it's, I think coverage of the NBA stinks. Uh, there's very few people that are doing it, doing it well, um, and really talking about the basketball that's going on. And I just think, we need to move to, to do better. I, I saw I saw a tweet earlier. You know, I don't watch a lot of first take if at all, but you know, I think Jason Williams was already talking about who's gonna win the championship next year. And it's just like, guys, the NBA finals start tomorrow and your company 
is the channel and the network that is hosting the finals. Like maybe talk about the game. And the crazy part, and I'll just kind of end it here, is that this should be a really good basketball series. Like these are two really good teams. Denver's an excellent offense. They really move the ball well. It's a really pretty basketball. Um, you have a battle of two really good coaches. Michael Malone is a really good coach. Ben Spo, I think, is the best in the league and one of the best of all time. Um, you have two guys who have uh, who both had incredible seasons in Jimmy and Jokic, but actually didn't make first team All NBA, which is crazy. Uh, and Jokic could easily have been a three time a three straight time MVP. I think he still should have won it this year. Um, he's one of the best to ever do it. You're going to be surprised if you haven't watched a lot of Jokic. You're going to be surprised at what he can do down low. The moves he can make, uh, the footwork, the counters. I wish Bam would spend a summer just kind of watching what he does and trying to just do any of that because he's – Jokic is a maestro in the paint. And not only offensively and what he can do down there, he's a great passer too. He's, he's going to be the toughest guy the Heat – um, I'm I'm like saying I'm like formulating a hot take in my head. He's he he will be the toughest guy that he'd have ever faced in the finals. Um, I'm not I don't think Denver's the best team they've ever faced. I don't know. I, I'm not there yet, but I think Jokic is the toughest guy they'll, they've faced. And this is their seventh NBA final. He's really tough, and I'm like I know that's you know you're talking about Dirk, you're talking about um, LeBron. Talking about, oh, but uh, we didn't go. We, I'm saying like again, like versus versus. Yeah, we played LeBron in the finals. Oh shoot, I forgot about that. <laughs> no, but us- that's a good. It's a good hot take. It's a good hot take. I, I but because I'm thinking, of that, and I'm like, wait, KD. Yeah, KD was still kind of young back then. Um, yes, yeah, I'm sticking with it. I don't know if I'm right, but I feel, I feel, I think he's the toughest guy they'll ever face in the finals. I respect the hell out of that take. I just wanted to interject real quick before Alex got his shit off too is yeah. Um, I don't know if this, this joke's going to miss my target audience, but I feel like ESPN is definitely going to do like the TikTok route of like half the screen is like a family guy episode. And the bottom half of the screen is just <laughs> the, the NBA finals just for all the stimming children that need something to like occupy them while they're watching TV. I hope that I hope that joke missed. Can you guys please tweet at me, our listeners? Please tweet at me at el three underscores jay and let me know if that joke landed. And if it didn't, just please do not flood my mention saying me how, how bad of a joke it was. I hope it landed, Alex. Okay, now, now you can go. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you know the the media coverage, and then I'll circle back to the refs and just sort of go in reverse here. But you know, this is something I've been saying for probably I want to say like the last five to 10 years, somewhere in that range, like the national media for the NBA has never been more grating, more obnoxious, you know, entirely unpalatable to watch because of how they treat every franchise except for two of them. And it shocker on these next two franchises, the Lakers and the Celtics, you know, we get it. Like the Lakers are the Lakers. They are the iconic team. They've had all these stars. You know, they've won the most championships. The Celtics won a lot of championships when there were four teams in the league. And you like to prop them up and pretend that they still have like this 
ginormous franchise and and fan base that is on the same level as the Lakers, um, which they don't. But like the other 28 franchises combined, I'd be willing to bet have more combined fans than those two. So ultimately, you're just pissing off more people by doing this, you know, dance of who's going to win the title next year when you have the NBA finals starting tomorrow. It it just doesn't make any sense. Um, And honestly, when ESPN and all of these other national media outlets do that, it gives way for stuff like the random scrub heat podcast to take place because heat fans now want to go get their, you know, their basketball uh, consumed on a platform where their team is actually getting talked about, whether it's positively, negatively, you know, in any fashion. You you tune you tune into first take with Skip and Shannon, and they're gonna give you, you know, uh th- this is the thing that was going on in the conference finals. The Nuggets were in the process of sweeping uh the Lakers, and the Heat were in the process of sweeping the Celtics at the time. Um, and you would get a blip on first take about the Heat Celtics. Um, the Heat in eight seed about to beat the second best record in the NBA after already having beat the first best record in the NBA versus the Lakers about to get swept by the first seed in the West. And, you know, it's just it doesn't it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. Um, And I think from a viewer perspective, from my perspective, that's why I don't watch uh, Sports Center, ESPN, any of these national media outlets too much anymore. I try to, you know, I'll consume a little bit here and there, but I definitely don't let um, some of the narratives that they talk about, you know, influence me at all. Um, but, you know, back to the refing, to Harry's point, the mentally tough team usually does win. Um, and game six, when we lost that game, we were the mentally tough team that did not win. <laughs> Funnily enough, um, I, I thought that was one of the most poorly refed games um, that I can remember, at least this year. Um, and I didn't even want to talk about it too much on Twitter about, you know, how horrible the refing was because there was, you know, when you lose a one point game, there's so many different things that could have just flipped one way or the other throughout the entire game um, where had the result changed, the heat win, you know. You can't complain about the refs and shoot 28% from the field. It's just not like a reasonable thing to do. Um, If they shoot 35% from the field or or 40% from the field, they win the game by 15 or 20 points. So it's sort of just like one of those things um, where, yes, the refing was absolutely atrocious. I think the Celtics, I'm not sure on this number. Don't quote me on it. I think they shot 44 free throws. And I, I think at one point prior to Jimmy taking over in the fourth, they had like a 20 free throw discrepancy between us. Um, you know, they're, they're not driving the ball every single play here. Like the Celtics are shooting threes just as much as every other team. So it, it's definitely frustrating to see, um, you know, the second largest sport uh, consumed in, in the United States, which is the NBA, obviously NFL first. Um it's it's so bad to see the topic of conversation before a game be well scott foster's refing game seven you know 
th that's the topic of conversation. It's not, it's not the Celtics could come back and, and be the first team ever to win down 0-3. It's not the Heat could be the second team ever to be an eighth seed and make the finals. It's Scott Foster is refing, and here is this team's record when he's refing, and here is this team's record when he's refing. And for the NBA to allow that to be a constant topic of discussion on social media, it just speaks to how poorly that they handled the situation since the Tim Donaghy stuff, in my opinion. Um, I don't want to really go down that rabbit hole too much, but something has to change about this. Like, I, I know they, you know, the, the refs have their, their union and they're protected under, and I'm perfectly fine with that. But there needs to be some change. And I don't know what that change is, but it has to be something in regards to the refing because you cannot have these star players constantly in the ear of an official all game. It gets exhausting to watch from a casual a fan perspective. Um, and it's definitely, you know, exhausting to watch when I see Jason Tatum screaming for a foul call when he's elbowing someone in the face on the other team. I agree completely with both of the takes. And Alex, you were onto something there saying that uh, when the bigger networks always like refuse to to show love to the teams that are actually producing and playing good basketball like Denver and Miami, then it opens the door to a certain podcast. What, what podcast was that? Um, I think this is the Random Scrub Heat podcast. Or, or well, actually, I believe today we are the Caleb Martin podcast. Yeah, that's right, Cook. Just had to get that in there. But yeah, no, now that we've actually discussed all, all the bugaboos, what I want to do right now is talk about how when the Miami Heat throughout this entire playoff run have beaten a team, that team starts to act a little different. You saw it in Milwaukee after Jimmy Butler did what he did to Drew Holiday. He was out there drinking Celsius. No shade to Celsius. He was out there contemplating retirement. He had Drew Holiday talking crazy. The Miami Heat had Rob Williams eating crazy. They had Rob Williams eating the clam chowder from the Lexus De December to remember sales event. They had, they eliminated the New York Knicks. And do you guys, uh, do you guys know what Josh Hart had to say? Uh, Josh Hart, after being eliminated from the Miami heat only about as a two weeks into his off season, Josh Hart tweeted out yesterday. He was wondering if, uh, if anybody had any recommendations on breast milk, if anybody had uh, tried their significant others, breast milk, I'm just saying, when, when you lose to the Miami Heat, you, you start contemplating life in a different light, whether it be through changing your profession or changing your eating habits or, I guess, technically also changing your eating habits, but I, I, I'm not going to go there. Your, your liquid consumption, that, that's, it's a little odd. Don't you guys think that Josh Hart would just come out there and tweet asking about, we should have had Ricky on to, to honestly, I wanted to ask him about this more than anybody else about just defend Josh Hart sucking on some tits. Like I, I don't know, man, just go ahead. I'm not going to kink shame anybody, but what you do in your bedroom should stay in the bedroom. And I wouldn't necessarily go out and tweet and ask about recommendations and then be like, hashtag asking for a friend, Josh, we know it's for you. And you saw you saw De'Aaron Fox in the comments saying, I'm surprised it took you this long to ask it. Like, De'Aaron, what are you talking about? Surprised it took him this long to inquire about breast milk? I, listen, man, it, we're, it's currently 1.09 a.m. and we're, we're discussing breast milk on a basketball podcast. This is how life goes, though. Life comes at you fast. So I just want to get your guys' takes on, on breast milk gate and... Ha, 
you know what? No, I was, was going to ask a question about. No, I'm not going to do it. Um, listen, I just, I just thought it was crazy. Like they were telling us that Josh Hart was the Jimmy stopper, and then suddenly he's, um, he's just sampling breast milks, and you know, I'm. I'm happy if he's found a new leaf and this is kind of what he is now into. Um, I agree with you though. Like I'm, I'm more of like, do whatever you want, you know, as long as there's consent in the bedroom, but yeah, I don't need to know about it too much. And um, I just, yeah, I think you're, I think that he just like really make these guys um, think about things they've never really thought about before. They, well, they have a lot more time, you know, they have, they have some time to figure this stuff out. And um yeah, I did. You know, I didn't think Josh Hart had a particularly good series. He's probably thinking about free agency and what he wants to do next, and how much money he could steal from the Knicks. And I guess in the meantime, he's just figuring out, you know, what um, what works for him and his partner. And um, you know, I just think he's trying to figure out some insurance in case the the basketball thing doesn't doesn't work out for him. And, you know, speaking of insurance, um, I love that Harry tied our sponsor to breast milk. Um, a primary sponsor in the basement is Simple Health Advisors. Insurance doesn't need to be complicated, Josh Hart. Email them or give them a call today and tell them that the basement sent you. You can email our boy, JP, at simplehealthadvisors.com or give them a ring at 321-345-7738. I'm sorry that we, we did the, uh, the ad read right before Alex had to talk about breast milk. So, Alex, just go ahead and talk about breast milk. Hey, um, you know... Josh Hart was eliminated from the playoffs on May 12th. Uh, it is now 1 a.m. June the 1st. Um, that puts him at about two weeks old if we're considering the fact that uh, Jimmy Butler made him his son in the Knicks series. So, you know, breast milk might be his thing uh, for, for an infant as, as young as Josh Hart. Um, you know, I'm glad he is getting the nutrition he needs. Uh, maybe it will help with that disgusting jump shot that he he can't seem to figure out um but you know it it is absolutely wild that josh hart uh is tweeting about breast milk you know during the week uh, probably i don't remember what time it was but i it, oh man there's just some things you, you got to keep to yourself or at least you know throw it in a text to one of your friends that has children of their own recently or something i don't know um to ha echo harry's point you know consent is is a hundred percent of the the way to go uh and if if josh and his wife want to partake in that <laughs> that kink of theirs i want to answer your question more, more um, power it, to them it wasn't even like a midnight like deep thought tweet it was eight forty seven a.m children are still awake he, and i do want to say he this. was lining up for dinner <laughs> He was getting that's dinner time, baby. Like those are, those are ripe sucking hours, I guess. And <laughs> I, I just want to say Dan Orlovsky was the first response that it's showing me on Twitter. And Dan Orlovsky responded with a hundred percent big time sex guy. Dan Orlovsky was all in favor of, of the breast milk. So that, that's a very on brand move. I just, I don't know, man. You know what, Harry, let's just call it. I got nothing else. We're ending. The last word we're going to hear is breast milk. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Random Scrub Heat podcast, the, the, the Caleb Martin podcast. I have been your host, Caleb Martin. Thank you, Caleb Martin and Caleb Martin, for joining me. Um, take care and be good people, except Josh Hart. Need a stop and a rebound. For you. For three. Oh, my. 
That was the Random Scrub Heat Podcast.